0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Glad you made it to church. You did well today, but you should have. We got an hour extra sleep, so no yawning this morning. All right, we've informed the usher to be sure and keep you awake. No, that won't be a problem. Hey, we welcome all of your guests. We're honored to have you. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up real quickly. We'd love to put the Word of God in your hand. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand or ushers will get you one. Then we'll go to the book of Exodus, Genesis, then Exodus chapter 4. We'll be in Exodus quite a bit today. We're going to take a little mini-journey with Moses this morning. And so, as you're getting your Bible, all you taking notes will be in Exodus 4, Exodus 5, Exodus 14, Exodus 33, and so on and so on. We've got a ways to go this morning. I'm going to ask you a question, though. It's one thing to come to church, but why do you come to church? Do I come to church for what God can do for me, or do I come to church for what or who God is? And it's a question I believe biblically you'll see answered today, and and I just believe God wants to touch our hearts today, every one of us in here that He wants to give us some understanding So where we're going is this man named Moses, and God wanted to use Moses, just like he wants to use you. And so when God tells Moses he wants to use him, Moses objects, and he starts making these excuses, and he says, but I'm not eloquent, I'm slow with speech, I'm slow of of tongue. In other words, I, I stutter and I stammer, I just can't do that. And so when God wants to use you, how do you respond? Do you, do you make excuses? So start with me right here in Exodus 4, verse 14. And watch God's response to Moses when he objects. Verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. So when Moses, he opposes, it says the angel or the, the anger of the Lord... Opposes him. Now, one of the most misunderstood concepts in the Bible is is the anger of the Lord. It's an incredible aspect of God's love. God is not an indignant monarch or ruler that he rules with an armed fist. This, This is God's love right here. Now, when I came up with this sermon title, or the whole series title, An Enemy Called Average, this is where I got it from. Because literally what was taking place here is God did not want him to miss his destiny. And God did not want him to live a mediocre existence. That's possible. And so the anger of God here is is to stir up with him in obedience to say, Okay, Father God, I'll obey you. And that's what God wants to do with every one of us. And so watch here, same chapter, verse number 27. So the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met with him on the mountain of God, and he kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Now what takes place, God finally convinces Aaron or Moses, you got to go. You've got you to serve me. And so God tells him everything that he's going to do for him. God lets him know. And, and literally he's saying, Moses, I got your back. I got you. Verse 28 or 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that He had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Now what I want you to see is this. When they heard what God was going to do for them, they bowed and worshipped. And so again, why do I worship God? Is it just what He can do for me? So again, I want you to think about this. Man, they're on cloud nine. They are lit up. God is going to do this for us. Chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and told the Pharaoh, and remember, the Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And the Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice, lest Israel should go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So... This guy named the Pharaoh, he's not impressed at all. And and he literally says here, Who's this Hashim or this Lord that thinks he's so mighty that I must obey him? I've never heard of him. And even if I had, I still wouldn't consent. So Moses goes in and tells him, let him go. And the minute he tells him to let him go... He faces opposition. And oftentimes, as human beings, when we face opposition, persecutions, troubles, we quit. We give up. We have this thought that as as Christians, as believers, it ought to be smooth sailing. Let me tell you, it's not always going to be smooth sailing, okay? And, And as I thought about this, Three men in the Bible that were incredible men of God. They all faced opposition from people within their camps, but also their family members. Moses, the Israelites, they rebelled against him. Moses' brother, Aaron's sister Miriam, they went against him. You look at the man of God named Joseph, his brothers went against him. You look at King David. His brothers went against him. There was a king named King Saul that tried to kill him for years. And then David had these mighty men that he loved and was good to, and they opposed him. And so understand this, there's going to be opposition that tries to come after every one of us. And oftentimes, that opposition is designed to get you to quit. Verse 3. So they said, the God of the Hebrews, what a word right there, has met with us. Please let us go these three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with the pestilence and with the sword. So we begin to see here something that begins to take place with, with uh, uh, Moses. And so literally what happens here is when they go when they tell the Pharaoh to let him go, he increases the Israelites' labor. He puts more bondage on them. He says, you're going to have to do more and more and more. And so instead of getting them out, he gets them in deeper. Now watch their response to him in verse number 20. Then as they came out from the Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us an abhorrent. That word abhorrent right there means you make us a, a scent that stinks. We stink in the sight of the Pharaoh and in the sight of his hurt or servant so much to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So now, these very ones who just previously were worship God and they bowed their head to God, where'd their worship go? When times change and, and the seasons change on their behalf, they quickly turn their back on, on, on Moses this time. And oftentimes, we give up in seasons of testing. And when we give up in seasons of testing, our life begins to take a pattern. And you know what that pattern is? We keep going around the same mountain, over and over and over. This is exactly what happened to the Israelites in, in this passage right here. So what takes place now is God begins to intervene. And the Israelites get to witness the ten plagues that God brings upon the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. Now, some of the plagues were that the rivers turned to blood. There was incredible hail. They had lice. They had frogs. They had locusts. They had darkness. They had their livestock killed. And ultimately... They bring in the death of the firstborn. So when that takes place, the Pharaoh says, let them go. Get them out of here. I don't want them anymore. But after a short time, you know what he realizes? I should have never let him go. So he goes after them again. Go to move with me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus fourteen. So the Pharaohs let them go, and I told you we're going to take a little mini journey through here. So if you can imagine the Israelites have been in bondage for four hundred years. They're on their way out of the prom, uh, toward the Promised Land. They're, yes, but little do they know the Pharaoh and his army are after them. So we pick up in verse ten of Exodus fourteen, and when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So guess what? Now they're in a whole other predicament. The ocean's in front of them, the Pharaoh and his armies behind them, so what do we do? Do we surrender? Do we fight? Or do we trust God? Now watch what happens here with them. Verse 11. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, "Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians." Now watch this statement right here, okay? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. In other words, it's all about me. It's all about me. It has nothing to do about God or what God desires. It's all about me. So as I look in this, I think, how many times do we get mad at God or people when we experience any inconveniences or discomforts? When life doesn't go our way, do we get mad at people? And so when you begin to look at this right here, things begin to change with them. Look at verse 31, same chapter. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord, his servant Moses. After that took place, guess what God does? He splits the Red Sea for them. God comes through again. And God comes through again. And God comes through again. And God will keep coming through. And so this is what began to happen with their lives. And so when you begin to see this, if we jumped into chapter 15, when they saw what God had done, they begin to dance. They begin to praise God. They brought out their tambourines or their tambourines and their instruments and they begin to say this: I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and the rider thrown into the sea. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock. And may the God of my salvation be exalted. So they're lit up again. They see God rescue them again and again and again. But it's short lived. Three days later, the water's bad. The water's bitter. And you know what they start doing? They start complaining. They start murmuring, murmuring and complaining and griping over and over. And so this begins to be a pattern in their life. I'm happy. I'm grateful. I'm appreciative. I'll worship God. I'll praise God as long as God is doing what I want Him to do. And so when I look at this right here, I have to ask myself that same question. Is the only time I worship God and praise God is when God does what I want Him to do? Turn to Exodus 33. And as you're turning there, I don't know if you've ever really studied the word happy and the word joy. But they're completely different. Happiness Is based on external things, the things that are happening on the outside. Happiness is temporary, just for a little bit. Illustration. How many of you ever went on an incredible vacation? You got to go to the beach. It made you happy, just temporarily. And then you know what happened? Life slapped you and you had to go back to work. Joy, on the other hand, has nothing to do with external circumstances. Joy is a product from my heart that only God can give me. One of the definitions of the word joy in the Greek, it's a calm delight. It's an inner satisfaction. It's intimate contact with the Lord. And so remember this, happiness is temporary. Joy from the Lord is lasting. Only God can give me joy. Now we cruise right into Exodus chapter 33, and let me paraphrase a little bit what went on. God goes up on the mountain Moses goes up on the mountain and, and he gets the Ten Commandments from God. He has an incredible experience with God, and in that same time when he comes down, he sees the children of Israel worshiping this golden calf. He gets really frustrated with them. So we pick up here in Exodus 33, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. Now remember, God promised promised them this place called the promised land. That's what he's talking about. Verse 2. And I will send my angel before you, and I will draw, drive out all the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the ites, whatever they are. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, now think about what he's telling them. God says, I, I want to give you everything I promised you. And not only am I going to give you everything you wanted. I'm going to send a choice angel before you. And he's going to wipe them all out. And he specifically says, I want to send you to a land that flows with milk and honey. Now understand, when he talks about a land that's flowing with milk and honey, those were things that would make them happy. They were physical things, like food. And so God says, I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. Now watch where it goes here in verse 3. For I will not go up with you in the midst. I will not go up with you in the midst. Why? At least I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff neck. You are a stubborn. You are a hard-hearted, rebellious people. Let me tell you what's going on here again. You get to go up, and you get to experience the land that flows with milk and honey, but God said, I'm not going with you. And so if you go up without God going with you, that means if God doesn't go, God's presence doesn't go. And if God's presence doesn't go, that means you're out there all by yourself. You're on your own now. And so this is what he literally tells them. I'm not going. Well, to a lot of people, they'd say, so what? I'm going to the land that flows with milk and honey. But it was different to this guy named Moses. Because he had an intimate relationship with God. Verse 7, same chapter. So Moses took his tent. And he pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp. And he called it the tabernacle of meeting. The tabernacle where I meet with God. The place of God's presence. The place where you commune with God. Now he says it was a tent. But understand this, they were moving around so much that they didn't have a permanent place of house of God or a temple to worship in. If you look at this right here, pay close attention to the wordings here in just verse 7. He goes on to say, And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of the meeting, which was outside the camp. So guess what that tells me? Every one of them had the opportunity to go to the meeting of the tabernacle or to go meet with God at the tabernacle. Look twice in that verse, and it said he pitched that tent outside the camp. One of the words he used was far outside the camp. So guess what he's telling me and you? You're not going to go to the tabernacle and the meeting place of God just by luck or chance. You're going to have to do it on purpose. And I believe the reason that it was outside the camp, like he said, is you're going to find out the ones that truly had a hunger for God, not for what God could do for them. Now, if you look at this right here, For them to go outside the camp, a far camp, you know what that tells me? It's going to cost you something. Especially in those days. They couldn't call Uber. They didn't have transportation like we did. At the best, they had a donkey or a camel maybe, but most of them had to walk. So guess what? There was going to be a cost for them to go meet with God. But it's interesting, he said, everybody who wanted to go there could meet. Now, here's another thought for you off of that. Why didn't he just stay at home and meet with God? Why didn't he listen to Pastor Stormy's podcast at home? Something happens when I go to the tabernacle... To meet with God. Here's the question off of that. Why do you come to the house of God? Why do I come to the tabernacle? Do I come to meet with God? Now get ready. This will teach us incredibly. Verse 8. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle. That all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door. And they watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when, 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 when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar or the presence of the Lord, the cloud, descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. Now I don't know if you got that, but nothing was taking place in the tabernacle of the meeting until Moses went in. And when Moses went in, The presence of the Lord came. And when the presence of the Lord came, God began to talk with Moses. Could this be why we don't ever hear from God? I don't take the time to go to the tabernacle of the meeting. Or if I go to the tabernacle of the meeting, I go for the wrong reason. It shows me here, this guy named Moses, he said, I'm going to meet with God. I need to meet with God. Verse 10. And all the people saw the pillar of the cloud, the presence of the Lord, standing at the tabernacle of the door. And all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. Again, guys, you see, it's important to go to church, but it's important to go to church for the right reason. Man, I wanna worship you, Father God. I wanna praise you. I don't wanna go to church to check out all the young girls, I don't wanna go to church for this reason. And I want to go to church to worship. Now watch what he says in verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. Wow. Do you know Moses is one of the few men in the Bible that has referenced a friend of God? That's next week. Friend of God. See, oftentimes we look at these great men in the Bible and we have this thought. They were born just great men of God. They weren't born great men of God. They had an appetite to be around God, to talk with God face to face. There's times I think we, have, we think God's got this big old hat and he, he gets down in that hat and he just pulls a name out of that hat and goes, Woo, Michael Terry, woohoo! he's the man. Uh-uh. Moses was intentional. He knew he had to get in the presence of the Lord. Verse 12. Now, verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. Now, watch this, okay? Listen real close to this. But his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun a young, young man did not depart from the tabernacle. Now, if you were to study the history of this, Moses never did get to go into the promised land. But the guy who would take over from Moses was this guy right here named Joshua, the son of Nun. And what I believe begins to happen, that at a young age, Joshua would begin to have an appetite for the presence of God. He began to see what Moses did, and he said, man, i got to get around God like he does. God doesn't care about your age, and I believe this, when you learn to get in the presence of God in a young age, it'll move you right on through life, where you say, man, I'm going to seek God all the days of my life. So look, again, we have this thought, God just picked Joshua out of that? No. He had an appetite to worship God, to stay in the tabernacle when everybody else left. Keep reading. Verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Now he's talking to God. And he said, God, yet you have said... I know but you by name. Moses tells God, he said, You know me by name. How do you know someone by name? The only reason I know Michael Terry by name is because I've known Michael for years and years and years. He doesn't come walking in here and I say, Who are you? He'd say, Stupid, you married me ten years ago. Has it been ten years? Nine. That's close. Woo! Woo! You're on it, Pastor. Think about that. So he said, You know me by name, God. And it's the same for every one of us. God wants to know us by name. That only happens because of my appetite, your appetite. So he said, You've known me by name, and you have also found grace. In my sight. Wow. So when he says I've known you by name. It's because he was intimate with God. I'm going to give you three things right now that I believe. Are some of the biggest distractions for us. That keep God from knowing our names intimately. Not necessarily in order. Number one. Entertainment. Number two, work. And number three, the demands of other people. Oftentimes, instead of coming to the tabernacle of the meeting, we would rather have entertainment. Oftentimes, we put work above the the tabernacle of the meeting or even the demands of other people. Am I telling us not to do any of those? No, I'm not saying that. What I am telling us, we better learn to live with the balance, and we better make a priority sheet, because every sacrifice is based on preference. And so he says to him, he said, you've known me by name, and if I found grace in your sight, that word grace often will mean favor. So when he says, if I found favor in your sight, so anytime you find favor in God's sight, you know what God's telling you? You ask me whatever I want or whatever you want, and I'll bless you with it. So if God came strolling in here today and said, you have favor in my life, and he looked at Dr. Bill and said, you have favor in my life, what would be the first thing right now you would ask God? Think about that right now. Well, Father God, I could use a hamburger. You need to up your asking a little bit. Now, what I'm making a point here with, is I going to ask just for something in the natural? Oh, Lord, make me a car payment. I, I could use a new Rolls Royce. See, again, the thing I ask for will identify what becomes priority in my heart right now. And so he says to Abraham, he said, ask me whatever you want. Your favor is upon me. Now, watch, watch what Abraham asked for, verse 13. Now, therefore, I pray if I found favor or grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. His request, show me that I may know your way, that I may know you. He didn't say, get me to the land that flows with milk and honey as fast as you can. His greatest desire, he said, i, I got to know you, Father God, and I want to know your way. And he ends in verse 13, and he says, and consider this nation as your people. So what he asked, he said, show me your way that I may know you, and Father God, take care of your people. He didn't ask for one thing on the physical side for himself. God's response in verse 14. And he said, My presence will go with you. My presence will go with you. In other words, I'll personally go with you and I'll give you rest. I'll give you security. I'll give you peace. Verse 15. This is Moses talking back to God. And he said, If your presence does not go up with us, do not bring us up from here. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up from here. Now here's a huge point for you. Where's here? When he asked this question, or when when Moses says this to God, the here they were at was smack dab in the middle of the desert. And you know what Moses says to him? He said. Father God, I would rather stay right here in the desert with your presence than go to a land that flows with milk and honey without your presence. In other words, I want you. Wow. Verse 16. For how then will be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate. Your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Powerful. Verse 18. And he said, Please show me your glory, your glorious presence. And when he talks about his presence, it's the inner reality that makes God who he is. And he said, Lord, I gotta have you i got to have your presence. Again, I want to highlight something. He never went into the promised land. But he served God all the days of his life. So you know what it showed me? Here was a man who said, I want you, God, for who you are, not what you can do for me. So I go through this and I think, wow, he was a great man of God. Incredible. Turn to Psalms 27. i got two passages left. Psalms 27. In this 27th Psalm, is about King David. A man after God's own heart. Remember that. He was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because God opened a fortune cookie at P.F. Chang's and said, David's a man after my own heart. There's always biblical reasons why men and women are men after God's own heart. Watch this. Verse 4. Just one verse. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing. The message says, Only one thing I have desired of the Lord or asked of the Lord that I will seek or I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to come into the house of God. I want to come into the presence of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. His number one priority was, I want to come into the house of God. I want to inquire at the temple. You know what that literally means? I want to come to the feet of Jesus. A man after God's own heart. And let me tell you what's going to happen here, just paraphrasing. This man who was a man after God's own heart, named King David. He gets into sin. You know, I've been told lately that you shouldn't mention sin in the church because we don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. Well, isn't it interesting That God calls sin, sin. So let me just paraphrase real quick. He gets into sexual sin. Be careful little eyes what you see. We live in a society that we think it's okay to live in sexual sin. Actually, when you get to the word adultery, sexual sin, it made the top ten commandments of God too. It's in the top ten list. But not only does he commit adultery to cover up his tracks, he has a great man named Uriah the Hittite. He has him murdered, takes a hit on him. So for the next year, this man who was known a man after God's own heart, he runs from God. He looks cool on the outside, but inside he's dry, he's stale, and he's on the verge of destruction. Now, turn with me to Psalm 51, and this is where we're going to end with. And and I encourage you, take time to read the entire passage of Psalm 51. When you get in there, this is what King David says. He says, Only against you, Father God, have I sinned. Only against you have I transgressed. Only against you have I committed iniquities. So when I see King David do that, you know what that tells me? This was a man who took ownership for what he did. And he didn't say, God, if Bathsheba wouldn't have been out on that roof that night, if she would have at least had a robe on, I wouldn't be in this predicament. No, he said, Father God, only against you have I sinned. Something happens when I stand before God and I take ownership and say, Father God, I've sinned. Now watch this in verse number 10. Psalm 51 verse 10. This was King David's heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word renew there means to restore to freshness. What a prayer. In the message translation, it says, Lord... Shape a Genesis week in the chaos of my life. A Genesis week would be a new beginning. You don't have to raise your hand. How many in here need a new beginning, a fresh start with God? Watch verse 11. Watch this. And do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Did you hear what he asked? He said, Father God, I've got to have your presence. Don't take the Holy Spirit from me. If you'll note there, he didn't say, don't remove me from being king. Don't take all my my livestock. Don't take all the silver and gold I have. Don't take all my wives. And he had wives plural. him. One's enough for me. So again, you think about what he asks for. Lord, I need your presence. I need the Holy Spirit. Look how he ends in verse 12. Restore to me the joy, the joy, the joy, the joy of your salvation. The joy that only comes from your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. Make me willing to obey you, Father God. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you prayed that? When's the last time you said, Lord, I need your presence. I need the Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of salvation. See, again, it all locates my heart. I don't want to serve God for what he can do for me. I want to serve God for who he is. And again, when we study this here, you begin to find out why these men of the Bible were great men of God. So let me ask you something. Are you living a mediocre existence? Are you missing your destiny? God's a God of a second chance. God's a God that, repen- he, he, he receives our, our repentance. He forgives he still has destiny. It's not too late for the destiny of God. So I don't know how young you are, how old you are here today, but God's got purpose for you. It's never too late to start. You know, I didn't give my heart to Jesus till I was 20 years old. For the first 20 years of my life, I made a mess out of me. And twice this morning, I've been in conversations and I said this, I know in my heart, that if I wouldn't have given Jesus my heart and become, let him become Lord of it, I would be either dead or in prison. I know that the, the life I was on. But something happened. When he came into my life and he began to give me purpose, just like he wants to do for you. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit FaithChurchLubick.com.